Hey, I wanted to have a few of my sanctuaries come up and share a bit just how God has used Water's Edge uh, to create an encounter. And so I thought we'd start out by hearing um, some of my favorite people. I wanted Ben to come share first. Ben! Uh, so maybe you asked me to come here and share uh, just a little bit about how being able to be on the worship team, uh, receiving, playing, and how uh, I like how God has used that in my, my life uh, the last couple of years. It's been uh, an interesting journey coming through to Water's Edge, uh, starting with the flood. Uh, so Alicia, who's also on the worship team, I'm not sure. Um, she, she was like uh, moving to California, and uh, uh, I shortly after joined her out here and moved, and uh, she's like, hey, we should go check out this church. And so I was like, yeah, why not? Uh, and so ended up here uh, at the flood, and then been here a couple uh, couple years now, and it's, uh, it's been a blessing that we got to kind of take over. Oh, there's some cool oh yeah, this is our. I'll describe this second. So it's been a, been a few years. I've been able to uh, kind of uh, be around the church and the folks for a while, and then uh, at some point the opportunity to play worship came up, and uh, and been something I did a little bit in high school, and uh, got to. Um, dive in a little bit more and learn from some of the experience that's on um, the team. And it's been uh, just a great journey for uh, being able to learn from these people and, and kind of uh, figure out what worship really is. Mm-hmm. You know, being a high schooler playing acoustic guitar on stage is very different than like getting to the point where you're like leading worship. And uh, so I think that's been it's been a cool journey to to watch uh, that take um, to take shape and to uh, grow grow my heart towards God through worship and to understand what um, what, what the like core of a worship leader is. Um, and so um, that's, a, that's been an evolving journey. Uh, it's been super great to play with these guys. These guys are so talented. Uh, Alicia, Hamilton, Greg, uh, Luis, all the, all the people that are up here. It's just like always, every time I'm sitting in the back and I'm listening, I'm like, oh my gosh, it sounds amazing. Sometimes you're stressed when you're up here and you're not like really taking it in. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been very awesome. So to get to this uh, this wonderful photo, I'll try to like talk about it. We got to go to a worship conference in Tacoma, uh, and so uh, as as usually goes, Greg always wants to take you know band photos. <laughs> <laughs> this is our on the left. This is our first attempt at like you know like looking like a band, you know, yeah. uh, which is which is pretty fun. But Tacoma is beautiful. Um, we got to we got to go to this conference, uh, which I'll talk to you just really briefly. Um, I think one of the things I took away from that was that worship is is not just about music; it's it's a reflection of your heart and your uh, desire to connect with God and, and worship God. And uh, watching some of the uh, worship leaders at the conference, um, you got to dive into their their hearts a little bit and. Uh, and that was kind of one of the coolest parts for me with uh, this conference. A lot of great music, a lot of cool um, <clears throat> workshops to be a part of, but just just being uh, inspired by uh, these men of God in their hearts to, to chase after God and then worship the reflection of that and bringing that to the community was really cool. Um, so, yeah. Good. That's what I got. It's great, great. Yeah. Paul, I want to invite you up. Yeah, grateful for all our musicians here. We have the team there. There's also other people who help out, and they all are unpaid people, which is just incredible to have that gift. 
and we saw Bridget out here as well, uh, and Kelsey in the back. This is Paula, and I wanted her to share a bit about what the Lord is doing. I think Paula's very good at it. You are? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paula. I've been part of this crew for about six months now. And on Tuesday, Andy asked me to share how God wanted me in this space, and I, I love to share. Um, it was through community. You know, as soon as I walked into those doors, I felt it didn't feel like I was among strangers, but family. And um, truth be told, though, Pastor Andy and congregation, I think they would agree that it doesn't matter what space we're in, as long as we're together, we're home, and we're enveloped by his love. So that's it's great. Good enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, lastly, I want to invite up uh, who I call the man behind the scenes to share a bit about how God is blessing you serving this guy in many ways holds the place together. So give a word for my man. Come on. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's our crew, some of our crew. And I uh, just want to welcome everybody here. Uh, for those who've been with us, those who may be returning uh, for this for a day or for longer, we love having you here. I want to welcome uh, one of my best buddies, Jeb and, and Amanda. They're here today. Um, they're from another church, so no coaching. No, I, no, I will work on them, as I do. Uh, yeah, so I'm Andy. Welcome to Water's Edge Church. There are a few seats here. Front row. The whole beauty of this sanctuary is that it's bringing us closer. So it's time to get closer. So you can have the seats. One, two, three, four. Let's fill it up. And uh, yeah, transitions like this are stressful. I'm not going to act like this was like an easy transition. <laughs> I'm not. Like, I'm not. And I've reached out to some people for prayer. And you all know Scott Wiley, and most of you know he's spoken here. And he played over me in Matthew 5 3, which says, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't know Eugene Peterson, he gives his translation of that verse that I think is really helpful. And Scott prayed this to me. He said, Blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Uh, with less of you, there's more power. So awesome. And I've experienced that. More God has came through others, especially you all. So I think I want to give some thank yous. Uh, today I'm going to miss somebody, but I'll try anyway. I want to thank Casey for representing us, Matt and Casey for representing us here, Kids by the Sea, for all of her due diligence. 
I want to thank our leadership team, support team, advisory teams, everybody who's helped us navigate this transition. I want to, I'm really grateful to Carrie, who's my sister and friend. I don't know if she's probably out still working. Who, her, her hospitality helped recreate this space, though it is beautiful as it is. Uh, I want to thank Deb and Rick uh, for helping out the kids' spaces. I mean, people were here working yesterday. Tony, Mooch, uh, Bridget was here. I'm so grateful. I want to thank especially my wife, Courtney. Uh, Mooch is right there. Mooch. I want to thank you. Everybody point to Courtney. She has spent hours executing the vision and navigating and implementing all of the um, practicals that we need to be in this space. I'm so thankful for you. I love you. And I'm thankful for everybody who support the work here. Those who help us navigate this, who, who give of their time and their talent and treasure. And if you don't give and you're part of this crew, you can give at the Water's Edge church.org slash give. And there have been some startup costs, so to speak, with this transition. I wish you could say it was different, but we probably accrued 15 grand in changes, hours, equipment um, that comes with this. And I just want to say, if you're part of this crew, committed, I'd love for you to consider a one-time gift to make that happen, uh, to help fill that gap to replenish our savings. Uh, guests, please don't feel any obligation to give. You are free. You don't have to pay to come to church. Please don't. Um, committed family, we want all of us to give from a place of cheer. The scripture says that uh, God loves a cheerful The invitation is to give out of delight. And perhaps that's not where you're at right now. You're like, I'm just getting by, I'm struggling, I can't give. Then let just the honesty of that be your offering to God. Because I, I believe God is gracious and He works with all of us where we're at. <coughs> blessed are those who are at the end of the rope, right? Or there's less of us and more of God. And if you happen to be at the end of the rope, let us know how we can your life. That's why we exist. To love God and others in Christ really in these difficult and divisive times. So with that, I'm going to pray for our gathering, even though the prayer has already begun. Lord, for the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Rock, my Redeemer. Take hold of the words. Father, thank you for your unending love. Jesus, thank you for your life that comes by the cost of your death and the freedom of your resurrection. Spirit, would you take hold of this room? Bring the comfort where you need to bring comfort, bring conviction where conviction needs to reign. Would your authority and power take hold of everything? And uh, we trust you and we love you, and we say we love you too, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> so we've had a couple weeks left. Uh, this fall series, it's called Footsteps, and the whole thesis of the series is that a lot of us have heard the words of Jesus, History has witnessed the works of Jesus, but the ways of Jesus are unfamiliar to us. Uh, to Christ's bride, the church, is, they're unfamiliar. We, we, we tend to miss the ways of Jesus. And the ways of Jesus, if you follow his footsteps, and that's the serious question, is how, how can we, Water's Edge, follow together in Jesus' footsteps? They, they have a, a pattern to it, where we embrace our identity and live in our authority, where we find people's peace, we create an extended family, and from that family arise disciples, learners who make disciples. And we've been in the last couple of weeks establishing healthy, fruitful rhythms. We talked about the necessity of rest and the revelation that comes with rest, that only comes with rest, the hearing from God, the attentiveness that can only come 
by trusting God and resting and living within his blessing because we choose to stay here in charge and I'm not. Today we'll talk about the necessity of communal collective worship. I mean, could it be even better on a day like this? And then we'll begin next week two conversations about what it means to die in oneself. And before I get into this necessity of communal collective worship, I want to tell two anecdotes. Uh, one about this beautiful teenage girl named Courtney Colton, who grew up in a farm uh, with a great, beautiful sister, Carrie, uh, and two God-loving, gracious, God-fearing parents. And the thing about this young woman is, in the morning, and this was her dad's words, so I got to quote her dad, it's not mine, she was a quiet sleepyhead who had a slight penchant tendency for morning grumpiness, which, by the way, has completely changed. <laughs> and as she laid her eyes closed maybe 30 minutes before it was time to leave for church on Sunday morning, her father and mother would, would come and tell her, Courtney, you don't have to get up today. You don't have to. But I believe that if you do, God has something special for you. That's right. And the Holy Spirit used that to, as the scriptures say, to rise up, O sleeper. And uh, she would get ready and come every Sunday without fail. Because she loves Jesus more than sleep. <laughs> she loves Jesus much. That's one anecdote. I want to tell you about another really, I would say, ruddy, good-looking young lad from across the continent who grew up in Bethany Beach, really Bexborough, Delaware. And at the same time, similarly, this guy was a teenager, and he would go to church at night because that's when CCD was. This kid was Catholic. We love our Catholic brothers and sisters. And uh, But this kid was a contrarian, and he loved to gather his group, and he skipped church, he would go to Grimes Pizza. But Father Masterson, who loved this kid, who this kid loved, who he served as an altar server for seven years, came to him, sat him down. Father Masterson, this six or five foot six inch Irish, sweet and strong man, whose only vice that I know is a pack of cigarettes that he rolled up in his sleeve, <laughs> sat down with him and didn't have much of a preamble. He just said, Andy, are you leading my flock astray? <laughs> <laughs> And this six foot one inch junior in high school looked at him and said, I am God. Yeah, I am God. I am Father. I am Father. He said, He told me, He said, Hey, I want you here. I want you here. There's something God has for us. Because He knew, like Dr. Lee knew, that God has something for us when we meet together. God has something for us. But it does. It does beg the question. I like this little section right here. It does beg the question. Do we got to go to church? Do we got to attend a church worship gathering on Sundays? Do we? Do we? And this has become a question of the age, particularly those in church circles. I've worked in ministry for 15, 16, I don't know, 17 years, something like that. And we've seen a decrease in church attendance. And, and that's been a result of a lot of things. Sure, the, the world becoming more close to church, uh, Sundays becoming open to all businesses and all sports, etc. But there's also a discontent with church. And I would say, in many ways, a holy discontent. Particularly of the modern evangelical uh, industrial complex. This idea that church is more of a show. 
<coughs> performance, that teachers and musicians are, are somehow the mediators of religious information, goods and services, this consumer, consumeristic model. And there's always a temptation throughout history, it's timeless, for the church, particular leadership, to act as power brokers. <coughs> and, and there's been resistance toward that, understandably. Understandably. The data has shown that. There's a lot of reasons, but that's part of it. So the question does remain, as we sit in that tension, do we gotta go to church together on Sundays? Do we gotta? Do we? And, and you would be biblically hard-pressed to find a scripture that says, Thou shalt wake up at 8.39 a.m. Because we know the Lord did that first news month. Second one's done. Thou shalt wake up, throw some waffles in the oven or bit toaster, wrangle your crew, and come to church within five minutes. It's really hard to find that verse. There is what everybody quotes, Hebrews 10. Verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another toward loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. <coughs> but it's also a little bit of a jump to say that means coming to church on Sunday morning. It is a hard one. It's hard to find that verse, so to speak. What I can say is, collective communal worship has always been in the backdrop and foreground of biblical history and post-biblical history, modern history. It has been. And if you were to ask that question, do we gotta, it does help understanding just the history of gathering together to worship, which feels, that can even feel like a religious term, worship. What does that even mean? Three seats up here, especially, okay, what up, Dr. Janet? <laughs> hey, Jack, what up, bro? Hi. Love you. Good to see you. Yeah, there's a history to it. There's a, there's a, a history. Um, in the beginnings, the anthropological implications of the creation narrative of the scripture is that humanity, Adam and Eve, lived in full relationship with God. And there was no need to worship because they were in loving relationship, because that's just what worship means. Worship means to respond to love with love. As John says, uh, we love because God first loved us. That's the bare bones idea of worship. And Ben was talking about that. Just this posture of loving God. That's what worship is. But the creation led to the fall. Time passed. The fall led to Father Abraham. Abraham had a grandson named Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of sons who became the people of Israel who then were enslaved in Egypt. And then God freed them which was the salvation event for the Old Testament people. And from freeing them, God gives them these precepts, these laws. There's 600 plus of them, but there's this top 10. And in the fourth commandment, there is a call to Sabbath. And it says in Exodus 20.10, that the seventh day, the Sabbath day rest, which we talked about last week, Sabbath to the Lord your God. And the implication of that is that the seventh day of rest is also a day dedicated to worship. Seventh-day rest is also a day for worship. By the way, seventh-day rest was Greg's man. He's 20. Oh, look, seventh-day rest. We start out the call right now. We go on and bring up the scenes. Good. My birthday. The dog here, not that note, but the seventh-day rest is dedicated to worship. 
Uh, and from those commands were designed to this tabernacle in the desert, which was like this mobile tent that they moved around, which created space for sacrifices and collective worship. And as time passed, they moved around, worshiped together, then they established a kingdom. There was King David and his son Solomon built this temple. This temple was this main massive building that was space for collective worship. Unfortunately, as time passed some more, the nations came in, Babylon destroyed that temple, the Jews were dispersed, and so they began meeting in homes, and even as the temple was rebuilt, they started building these localized public spaces called synagogues, where they would gather because they were spread across the empire, and that's where people who were spread out dispersed could gather together to worship the one true God, and centuries later, Jesus came on the scene, this this living temple who tabernacled among us, and he had a rhythm, a weekly rhythm of attending the synagogue, even teaching out of joy. And after Jesus died and rose again, and Pentecost came some 50 days later, the Holy Spirit was unleashed, and the believers would meet together still in homes and synagogues early on. But persecution again comes her way, and they're spread across the empire, and they're meeting in homes. That persecution ebbed and it flowed, and Christianity somehow got legalized. And they started building these huge cathedrals. People were disgruntled with that. They go to the desert, time ebbs and flows. You have these chapels, these sanctuaries, you have the modern industrial complex where people are building buildings, and now they're legalized for tax purposes. And you get these people meeting in other spaces you can't, like schools, and then you have people meeting in a local preschool. <laughs> that is a fast history. I went quickly towards post-Constantine. I know I did. But the church, suffice to say, a lot of people say the church is the people, not a building. And yet God provides spaces. He continues to provide spaces for us to gather. So the question remains, do we got to gather? Do we got to? And I would say the main thesis is gathering together to worship is an essential Sabbath rhythm that God still gives us and others. That gathering together from a scriptural, historical perspective, together to worship, is an essential Sabbath rhythm that God still gives us and others. And you're thinking, well, what is essential? Does that mean required? Do I gotta? And my response would be, do you wanna? Do I gotta? Do you wanna? That's as far as I'll go with that. That's the vital question, because collective worship is meant to reflect Sabbath rhythms. And if they're not, then there is something wrong with that. There is something wrong with that. Jesus said, as Carrie said earlier, that the Sabbath is made for man and woman, not man for Sabbath. God wants us to experience rest as we worship together. And I think it's helpful to understand, what, well, what are... How would you describe Sabbath? So that we can understand how we can describe what worship is meant to be. Well, Sabbath has different implications. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means simply to stop, to cease. To stop. To stop trying to dominate the world and allow God to subdue himself. To cease. To cease toiling. To cease. To surrender your anxieties, your worries, your fears. And give them to God. It just right now. If just for a day. And to stop, to cease, to surrender, it's subversive to the ways of the world because the world incentivizes going and going. There's rewards for it. Even if it's killing us softly and killing us slowly. 
Sabbath means stopping, but it also means starting. It means to start rest, to allow your bodies to be repaired, to take God's yoke, which is a lighter yoke than even you put on yourself. Allow your body to be rehabilitated. Sabbath means to delight. To delight in God and delight in Jesus through others. Through the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit does it. There's a deep cut in Exodus later. It says the Sabbath will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. This is Exodus 31, 17. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. He rested. Did you know that Hebrew fathers on the Sabbath morning would wake up their children with a spoonful of honey and say, taste, is it the Lord's rest good? How incredible is that? There's cookies out there to replace them. <laughs> How awesome is that? I want to give some props to uh, people who me out this message. Larry, Bob Rogling, Pastor Willie from North Coast Calvary, Benji from Light. They all shared me with their thoughts on Sabbath. I want to make sure I'm giving props to people who help me out. Lastly, we talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, it's my conviction that Sabbath worship should reflect Sabbath rest. And we said that, we saw that in Exodus 20.10. So as you look at this list, stop, rest, delight, worship, and as you hear the call to rest so that you can live within God's blessing, if you don't rest, you're choosing to live outside of it. We are. I am. What is God's invitation from you from this list? Whether it's stopping, resting, delighting, worshiping. And I feel like this is the kind of pop one. I'd love to hear you all just share a word. Like, what's God's invitation for you specifically out of this list? Here? Choose one. You can choose them all. Uh, yeah, slow them down. Slow them down. There you go. Delight. This is where the preaching really happens. So preach. <laughs> There's power when you bring it to the light. So I'm going to give you another minute so I can get a chance to call me. <laughs> What's God's invitation for you? Listen. <clears throat> Being bold. Resistance to the dominant culture. Good noise. It's good. That's good. Amen. Amen. All right, here's what I'm going to do because I'm pushing you. It's my birthday. I do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just say three seconds three, two, one, and everybody's going to say something. Okay. Three, two, one. Amen. Come on. Maybe that helps the introverts a little bit. So gathering together is to worship, to love God too. It's an essential Sabbath rest, Sabbath rhythm that God still gives us to others. We live in a time where we're a little bit discontented. Worship, particularly as it does or does not reflect Sabbath rhythms. So I want to ask a follow-up question. These are the questions I'm more interested in. Is that how do we continue gathering in ways that reflect Sabbath rest? This is what I'm going to spend a. I'm, I'm more than happy with this, so don't worry Just to get you out. Um, what are, how do we continue gathering in ways that reflect Sabbath rest? This is really important. 
really important. I'm not going to answer everything, but I think it'll give us a good moment for sure. And uh, Carrie read that passage for us. I'll reflect on it as I go by. Um, um, but it's, it's Jesus. We find him in, on two Sabbath Saturdays. Jews actually Sabbath on Saturdays. They Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and they would gather together on, typically on Saturday mornings. Um, and Christians uh, somehow, somehow in the beginning of their early church moved from Saturdays to Sundays because Sundays reflected on Easter, Easter Sunday. And when they gather together, when we gather together, it's meant to reflect a mini Easter. That we're asking God to do for us what we can do on ourselves. That God died and rose, and we need God here. And uh, so Sundays mirror a mini Easter. And we're finding ourselves in Luke's gospel. We came back a little earlier. I'm glad we did because it kind of shows how he implemented those rhythms. This is the third and fourth time that Sabbath is recognized in Luke's gospel. Uh, but it's the first time where we see opposition arising to it. So I think that's a helpful context for us. Because Jesus' ministry doesn't speak to whether or not we should gather together, but rather how we should worship together. And that's really interesting to me. And so how do we gather together? How do we continue to gather in ways that reflect Sabbath rest? The first principle is this, is that we need to prune cultural practices that inhibit joyful, restorative worship. We need to prune cultural practices that get in the way of freedom, Delight, rest, or restorative, joyful worship, aka burdens. And we see that in verse 1. Uh, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. This isn't even a church, but it's a principle that was placed on him. And his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub their hands, and eat the kernels. It's the practice of Deuteronomic provision for the poor where they would glean, gather food. It was totally legal. It was a, it was a social provision. And some of the Pharisees asked, hey, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And then later on, we read verse 6, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So we received some opposition. The first one was towards doing any work, cleaning which is a provision for the poor. God? <laughs> In the second case, they're just looking for anything that seems different than the socially agreed upon canon. Uh, they're reinterpretations of law. And that's the Pharisees. This is what is the issue is. They had a lot of reinterpretations on God's laws. They took, interpreted, and reinterpreted. They had, they had Sabbath restrictions that forbade so many activities, like writing, erasing, tearing, conducting any type of business, shopping, cooking, baking, kindling a fire, gardening, doing laundry, carrying anything for more than six feet in a public area, moving anything with your hand, brooms included, a broken bowl of fire base, candles had its all stay on the table, raw food had to stay on the table, a rock in your way, a button had fallen off. You could use your elbow, your teeth to move things. This is how convoluted it became. And it's only a partial end. The Sabbath became a burden. That was the problem. Twice, like all these issues of Sabbath, like serving God became a burden rather than a delight. Worship became a burden. 
Uh, a man who's attending synagogue with a shriveled hand who wants to come see the God who heals, Exodus 15, 26, is not allowed to be healed. That doesn't make sense. So from all that, we've got pruned practices that aren't restored, that aren't joyful. We have to discern those practices that are more culturally driven and less biblically driven by God's law and God's law of love. So, I mean, for us, that means if we want to if we want to connect, we create space before and after to connect. We want food. Let's do that. That's a way that there's food there. I love to do that every week. It's going to require a collective effort, but we can do this. We can. If we want to linger, uh, the worship team heard, heard the word to linger. If we want to linger in prayer, let's do that. If, if it's difficult for new people to come to a space where people aren't gathered yet, then we'll meet earlier. Great job, thank you all. Getting here on time. And if you didn't make it on time, awesome. We're so glad you're here. We are. Great job. Anything else I wrote down here? Yeah, Sundays doesn't have to reflect the classroom either. We can learn more Socratically. We can have other people talk. We've been trying different ways. It's amazing. So as long as it's sustainable, like if we're like, Andy, I want you to make me a quiche every Sunday. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. But there's things that we can do together. And that leads us to our, our second point. First thing is we prune cultural practices that inhibit joyful restored worship. And then we continue to incarnate the timeless biblical traditions of worship. There are timeless biblical traditions of worship. In the first passage, Jesus gives his Pharisaic opponents a little homily based on scripture. Scripture is uh, an aspect of worship. Uh, he says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, taken the consecrated bread, and he ate what's lawful. He's basically given a homily saying that godly people are allowed to do forbidden things in the name of love and sustenance. Mm-hmm. That there's a spirit of law rooted in loving God and others with our mind, whole heart, soul, strength, <clears throat> that can supersede some of the letters of the law. This takes discernment. The second passage, Jesus then redefines their reinterpretations. He says, I ask you, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or destroy it? And then he says, stretch out your hand and heal it. And the man was restored. Is that word restored? According to Jesus, it's always lawful to do good, even especially on the Sabbath. This helps us understand a little bit of why we can serve. Why we can serve in church. We, we serve in church to participate in the restoration of others. We serve on a Sunday because we delight in what God's doing in the lives of others. And we get to humbly participate in that. That's, that's like, that is the law of love. That's why we serve. That's why Jesus even taught us that. He's like, I get to participate in what I and the Lord, Father, are doing. It's an amazing thing. And if you aren't delighting in what you're doing, then that's that's a place where we need to have a conversation. If it's not restorative, and I've had those conversations, like, I don't think I'm made to minister to little kids in this season. I'd much rather do this. It's great. Let's have those conversations. But the heart of it is the light, to delight in others. And it is a privilege. It's not meant to be a burden. Timeless biblical traditions of worship. In the synagogue, they prayed. They read long passages of the Hebrew Bible, which 
remember that almost no one had that at home, so it was vitally important. It was part of this education, much of else. They sang songs and songs, and they received teaching. Um, and it's helpful to know that prayer, praise, and preaching is a part of our historical and biblical lineage. Like, if you ask, like, why do we do that? This is what our history has done. Um, the call, though, is to contextualize what we're doing so that it's able to be received and that it's sustainably life-giving. And, and the church, they, they even ate together, which is amazing. I, I know you all know I love food. I love it. I cut my teeth at Hope Church, if anybody's been with us in the beginning. I would serve there in the morning, volunteer some time there, speak there. The reason why I did it is because we ate it. It's a Chinese evangelical church, and the food was amazing. So as we, as we hear about these timeless traditions, I just have another popcorn question. Time, time. Yeah, I'll do pop one. What do you believe is mutually life-giving as we worship together? I'd love to hear it from you right now. <clears throat> Sometimes we do, um, like we'll break up and share, that's why the, the chairs are this way, but I kind of want to hear what you're saying, so just take a moment, like, <clears throat> what do you believe is mutually life-giving as we gather together? Fellowship. Fellowship? <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Being acknowledged, being seen, and hurt. Being acknowledged, being seen, and hurt. Mm-hmm. Vulnerable. Vulnerable, yes. Encouraged. Encouragement. Mm-hmm. Being known. Being known. Yeah. <coughs> Learning. Learning? Yeah, it does matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Easier to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Easier to be vulnerable. Facts, fullness, I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, Talking about things that are more relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our struggles that we will probably share, but don't want to share. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Really good. Understanding our history. Understanding our history. Very good. Everybody has to share on this one. I, just, uh, I do like hearing it. It's good for us. It's good for our leadership team in here. It's good for our church. Laughing. Yeah, I had that opportunity. Anybody want to go? Place of safety and support. Safety and support. Yeah. Peer. Do you have a man you can give us? Want to put in the spot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, I think you're looking at me. I think like sharing and uh, meals together is like yeah. fellowship. It's great, huh? Yeah. I'd say getting to serve and be served. Mm-hmm. So, well, really good. <laughs> yep. Let's keep the meals coming. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, the hope is that each of us would own a Sunday, by the way. It's going to make that explicit. It's good. All right. One more is hearing people's stories. I like this one. Yeah, <laughs> stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Revelation 12, 11 says that they overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Mm-hmm. What God is doing. That's actually a good point, so thank you for that. Yeah, I had an opportunity real quick to ask some sage people in my life, mentors, guides, spiritual directors. A lot of people have been at church or worked in church. And many of them who don't work there anymore for various reasons. 
And yet all those people still attend a Sunday gathering of some sort. Uh, most of those people aren't here, by the way. And uh, they've, been, they've been in the church circles for decades upon decades. If there was anybody who could skip, there would be these people. You know, if there's anybody who's kind of like burning off, blah, 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 I you know, they would be those people. <laughs> this is, I just asked them, like, hey, why do you still go? Why do you still attend? What do you receive personally? It's not just about being personally received, but it is a, that's part of it. And when we give, we receive, etc. But what happens when you go after all these years? And I heard, I just want to share some responses. I need to be reminded that I'm not alone to see our bigger God through others. I learned God's faithfulness by attending the church. This one says, it's a wrestle. But at the end of the day, I'm choosing an imperfect place of love and experience transcendence through others. Uh, this one says, I attend worship on Sunday morning to connect with people, see, touch, and relate. Yes, it can feel like a laborious chore at times, but I need it. I need the fellowship. Uh, this one said, the songs are good for my head. It's like a grown person. The songs are good for my head. <laughs> I love the local church. There's something special about being together. I gotta sing. I love gathering with a wider family, worshiping together in a big group, and taking communion together. It reminds me that I'm part of something bigger than myself, and if the sermon offers any rich biblical con- content, that's just a cherry on top. Uh, that guy is a really smart person. Simple answers on why we gather from really brilliant people. And, uh, it begs the question again, I kind of like wanted to go off notes on this one, is how, how do we want to continue to gather that reflects the Sabbath Sabbath, Sabbath rhythm rest? We gotta prune cultural practices, we gotta incarnate, continue to contextualize the time of traditions, and then we want to celebrate the acts of Jesus in the lives of all. We want to continue to celebrate the acts of Jesus and the lives of all. Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He adds in Mark's Gospel, the Sabbath was made for us, and not us for the Sabbath. And then of course, in that moment, in the second case, he reaches out and heals that man. Really, the scriptural context for this verse is what's happening after church. They're probably celebrating like crazy. This the verse is not there. It's actually what happens after they gather and they see that man near. They're getting together like, what is God doing? That is so amazing. It's the conversation post-sermon, uh, post-music, where they get together and they celebrate, man. I can't believe God's up to this. I can't believe God did this. I'm so excited. This is amazing. Oh, what God's doing in the lives of the people we heard from earlier today. What God's doing in your lives. And maybe perhaps you're in a place where you're like, I'm not celebrating right now. I'm not in that place. I'm struggling. I'm struggling racially, I'm struggling with everything I'm trying to pull together, I'm struggling with finances, I'm struggling with these to-dos and these to-don'ts, I'm struggling with what I even believe. And here's what I would say to you about that. I celebrate that you're here right now. Because even if you're struggling, even if it was a laborious chore, you showed up. And I'm going to tell you this. That God is doing something right now in your life. I believe that with everything I've got. I believe that He's you are a good work. Scripture says that you're his masterpiece, his, his poem that he is carrying to completion, that God is working in your life. 
that he is in the process of making you whole, and that when you show up here, you're making us our body whole. Amen? Yes, amen. So let's celebrate what God is doing as I ask the band to come back. All right, I'm just going to pray for us. There are some next steps. The next steps are simply this. Hey, discern how you can incorporate Sunday worship back into your schedule. Some helpful questions are like, what needs to be pruned in your own life? What conversations do you need to have? How can you plan ahead? Who can help you? We want to help you. If you need a ride, let us know. And then uh, as you serve, for those who do serve here, thank you. Allow God's delight to lead you. And if you're not feeling God's delight, take that concern. Let's have a conversation. And finally, I would ask everybody to give one another a gift to Sabbath Reps by supporting the movement. Uh, any way you can, you can give online at watersedgechurch.org. Let us pray. Lord, so grateful for this crew. What a good day to be alive. And I pray for each person here that they would know how much you are with them in the midst of the joy or in the midst of the pain. That you are the God of resurrection, even if we feel like we're burying the tomb, Lord. That we wait for a day that only you can bring. We trust that you're holding us in between. And Lord, I pray that uh, for anybody here who's trying to figure out their way, um, that they will take the next step to follow your way, Lord. And your way is hard. You call us to carry a cross, but it is lighter yoke than anything the world's putting on us. So God, I pray for freedom. I pray for rehabilitation. I pray for delight. I pray that people that delight in them and that that would spring forth new joy. Deep root joy that only you can bring. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.